Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is writing to the Ephesians. Uh, the Ephesian church was the most famous uh, church in the world of his day. It's probably the biggest church of any of them that Paul ever established. And uh, he writes a letter to them many years after he had begun the church or started it. And, uh, and he's encouraging them. One of the last things that he says is he's encouraging them to be strong in the Lord. Verse 10, Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now I want to stop just a minute here and, and point out something to you. It doesn't say a thing in the world about you being strong in you. It says be strong in him. In other words, the strength to stand, to, to overcome the work of the enemy against us in our lives comes from him. It doesn't originate with you, but you can take part in it. You can take hold of it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of, this, of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all or over all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, this passage of Scripture is talking about the tools, the spiritual tools. Paul calls them weapons when he writes to the uh, Corinthians. But the spiritual tools that we have to overcome any and everything that the devil throws at us. But notice that it's something that you don't wait till you're under attack to, to take care of. He talks about making preparation. He talks about having done all to stand, then stand. Well, that's preparing, isn't it? If you haven't done all there is to stand all that you need to do so that you can stand, the implication is you're not going to make it. But if we prepare ourselves, and the Bible tells us how, thank, God, thank goodness it does, it tells us how to prepare ourselves. Verse 11 specifically says, put on the armor of God. Now, our purpose tonight is not talk about the different pieces or uh, components of the armor of God. Paul identifies them and lists them, and he seems to be uh, comparing the spiritual armor of God to the Roman soldiers that, uh, that everybody's familiar with that he's probably uh, chained to or sitting right next to in prison when he writes this letter. But notice again, verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If we don't prepare ourselves, then the devil's going to take us under. But notice that word wiles. That's a strange word to us. It's not something that we really uh, use in, in our normal vocabulary or speech. But the word wiles means two things. It means deceit. Now, we understand that. The devil's only tool, uh, the only weapon he has against us is deceit. His only purpose or his only method of operation is deception. But it means something more than that. If you go back to the root meaning of the word, it literally means traveling over. In other words, Paul uses a word that tells how the devil operates. 
how the devil operates. He says, put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, if they translated it traveling over, like the word originally means, that wouldn't make sense to anybody. Nobody would understand that. But what Paul is telling us is the devil works one and only one way. And this is the way or this is the road that he travels. And he says that this, this thing called the armor of God that he describes and identifies the components several verses later, he says this armor of God will enable you to stop the devil on the road that he travels. Now the road that he's traveling obviously is against us when he talks about taking the shield of faith which is able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy, the wicked one. Well, we understand what that's about. It's talking about the work of the devil against us. And it tells us that the armor of God will be able to stop all of those things if we use it. If we prepare ourselves and have the armor of God in our arsenal when the devil comes against us. Now, we may go back and forth between this passage and some other passages of, of Scripture. But I want you to turn with me real quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's start in verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, Paul has just said in, that we read in Ephesians chapter 6, and of course the message would be the same, even if he says it in a little different way. The message is the same, and that is there are spiritual weapons available to us, God-given weapons available to us that will enable us to overcome anything and everything the devil does. One of the things, one of the ways that we can become effective in defeating the enemy, no matter what he tries to throw at us, is to know how he works. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Doesn't mean we don't wrestle. But our opponents are not earthly people or earthly things. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in higher heavenly places, according to Ephesians 6. Here it says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, earthly, physical, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Folks, I want you to understand that when Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6, where he sp speaks of the armor of God that will keep us safe, enable us to prevail over the enemy, and then here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where we come into battle with the enemy, the battleground is the mind. Now, most Christians don't seem to know that, at least from the way they live the things that they say. It would indicate that they don't. But notice Paul says that our weapons, the mighty weapons we have, not the physical weapons, but the mighty weapons that we've been given, the spiritual forces that we are enabled or empowered with. He says these are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The word strongholds means fortress. It's talking about a defensive position. So it says that our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Notice the very next thing he says, casting down imaginations. The word imagination just means reasonings or thoughts. 
reasonings or thoughts. Now, when he, when he uses this word for imaginations, he doesn't just mean spur of the moment thoughts. He means things that have built up over time. See, one thought that you have can't create a fortress for you. But things that you have reasoned, things that you have um, concluded, determined, based on whatever information you choose, you can build up strongholds from earthly things and earthly doctrines of men, or you can develop strongholds based on the truth of God's word, those we don't want to pull down, those are the ones that we want to have. But he's talking about the operation of the mind. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, turn back just a page here to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul's talking about forgiveness. In verse 10, he talks about forgive if anything, anybody's done wrong to you, if you've done wrong to me, I forgive you, and so forth. Verse 11, he says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Notice he says that if you don't know how the devil works, he'll take advantage of you. Can you see that? Now, specifically, he says, don't harbor any unforgiveness against anybody. And the reason he says that we shouldn't harbor un, uh, unforgiveness against anybody is because we know that the devil will take advantage of those who are walking in unforgiveness, holding on to things and refusing to give. But he says, let's forgive one another so the devil can't take advantage of us. Notice that last phrase in verse 11 again, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The word devices here means perception. It means intellect. It means the mind or it means thoughts. Now I'm going to run a reference real quickly here to find different places where this word devices is used in the New Testament. There's only six places, six different verses. The first one is this one here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Verse 14, it says, but their minds were blinded. The word minds is the word devices. But their minds were blinded until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which is done away with in Christ. He's talking about, without turning to look at it, the context he's talking about in that passage is where Moses came down from the mountain and had to put a veil on his face because his face shined. Then he uses a, a spiritual application here, a spiritual comparison here. He said the Jews still have that same veil over their faces or over their eyes. Their minds have been blinded by this veil. They're still living under the old covenant restrictions, in other words, rather than realizing the things that Jesus has done for us. The next time it's used, the third time it's used in Scripture in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It talks about in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds. That word minds is the same word translated devices in 2 Corinthians 2.11. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine unto them. The next one, the, the, I guess this is the fourth one, is 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5. We just read that. 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, same word for devices, every thought to the obedience of Christ. The next time it's used in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds, same word, devices, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Finally, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. I want you to see this one with me. I'll back up to verse 6. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. Here it is again. Same word for devices shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Then verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, and whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So every time this word is used, every time this word devices is used, or the Greek word that is translated devices in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Every time it's used in the New Testament, it's talking about the mind. It's talking about the operation of the mind. And notice Paul used that in saying we, are, we don't want to let the devil have an advantage over us by refusing to forgive one another, not walking in love, which is the only commandment that there is in the, under the new covenant. He said we don't want to let the, the devil take advantage of us by not acting on the word and walking in love because we're not ignorant of his devices. In other words, Paul's saying we know how he works. Well, I don't think a lot of Christians know how he works. It doesn't seem that they do. But the way he works or the road he travels, and it's the only one road that he's got, the one road that he travels over to attack you and me, to try to destroy us, to try to shake our faith and our confidence in God and in his word. The one road that he travels over is the road against your mind or the road of your mind. Thoughts are all he can, can bring and use against us. Now, folks, for the last eight years, every night when I put my head on the pillow, my mind has been bombarded with thoughts. Bombarded faster than machine gun bullets can fly. Bombarded with thoughts, and they all have to do with pretty much the same thing. I know it's the devil. Everybody, anybody with good sense would know it's the devil because it's questioning God and his promise. But it's pretty much the same thing every night. And that is, your faith's not working. Something's wrong. It's not working. You're not going to get your healing. You're not good enough. You're not doing enough. Your faith isn't working. Some variation of that. And every night, I respond in my thoughts. I know those are not my thoughts. I think one thing that, some, that trips some people up is that when the devil comes and speaks to their mind, they think that's them. Well, I'm certainly not going to say that stuff to me. Certainly it's the devil. It has to be the devil. He's the one telling me that I can't take hold of the promises of God. God's word says the promises of God are yes and amen. In other words, you can always have whatever you want. Just take hold of it by faith. So every night I go through the same thing. I remind the devil of what the Bible says. I remind the devil of what God has spoken to my heart. 
I remind the, the, the devil of, of uh, everything, anything and everything that's relevant to the attack or the thoughts that he's bringing against me. And that's what the Bible means when it says taking every cap- or bringing every thought into captivity. Bringing every thought into captivity. When Jesus was tempted of the devil, when the devil came and brought his temptations against Jesus, Jesus answered and responded and operated the same way. Three temptations, three responses. It is written. If Jesus used the word as a defensive weapon against the devil's temptation, why do we think it should be any different with us? We know the devil only travels one road, and the road that he traveled over against Jesus to bring those three temptations, Jesus responded by quoting what the word says. We have to do the same thing. The battleground is in the mind. The devil wants to make you think something that's not true because what you think will wind up being what you say. And what you say is your faith speaking. Now, during those eight years, the last eight years, I've shared a couple of times about some of the things that, um, that have happened, some of the symptoms and so forth. Probably the two greatest ones, the two that, uh, that were the first ones, symptoms of this thing that the doctors say is incurable, which there is no such thing as far as God is concerned. But the two things that came and had the greatest effect uh, upon me to begin with was the change in my breathing and the loss of strength. I I don't want to get into a whole lot of detail, but I've shared a little bit about it. During the first couple of years, the thing about Parkinson's, as I understand it, and I'm not trying to self-diagnose or anything like that, but what reading I've been able to do, one of the things about Parkinson's is, is it steals your breath. And I found that when I was trying to preach, didn't really affect me in other uh, situations or circumstances. But when I tried to teach the word, I had to focus on my breathing. Now, breathing is supposed to be an involuntary response of your body. But with Parkinson's, it's not. It's something that started affecting me and had a great effect on me for a period of time. I had to think about what I was, uh, think about breathing and then try to keep my mind on what I was trying to teach. It was tough. I don't think anybody that hasn't experienced it can really understand what, what it's like when you have to focus on breathing. Well, if you're having to focus, which it means control your mind or focus your mind, that's what I mean by uh, focus. When I have to keep my mind on what I'm breathing, I couldn't remember what I was going to say. And so that uh, made for some interesting days. And then almost immediately, the loss of strength came, and it showed up in a variety of ways. There was a time where I couldn't hardly make it through a service without going to lay down, and as soon as the service was over, I did go lay down. But another thing had to do with the strength of my voice. Back at the sound booth, they were riding the edge of feedback almost every service because they were having to amplify my voice. I just didn't have any strength to make my voice louder. Well, those are two things, two of the symptoms that faith in God's word have defeated. But you know one of the things I haven't found? Not once, and, and those two were just the two biggest ones. There's probably been eight, maybe ten others along the way, not as critical, but things that I've overcome just by confessing the word. 
there's never been a time where the devil said, well, your faith overcame that, but he's always been there. He's been very faithful to tell me that my faith wouldn't work, that my faith wasn't working, but he's never recognized where my faith did work and overcome something that he brought or a part of this thing that he brought to me. Not only that, but the devil is a liar. The Bible says, Jesus said, the devil is the father of lies. All the devil can do is lie. Now, that doesn't mean every word that he speaks is a lie. But behind every word that he speaks is lies. They are lies. Here's what I mean by that. I've never considered that the devil was telling me the truth when he told me that my faith wasn't working. Because if my faith really wasn't working, which I certainly have evidence that it was and is, but if my faith wasn't working, why would he want to bring that to my attention? He knows as well as I do that if there's something that's keeping or hindering my faith from working, then I'm going to get on that and make a change. So he would be working against himself to tell me that my faith wasn't working if my faith really wasn't working. Do you understand what I'm saying? If there was unforgiveness, and he's used that a bunch of times, if there was unforgiveness in my heart toward anybody to the point where it was keeping my faith from, hindering my faith from producing results, he's not going to want me to be aware of that. He wants me to stand there and say, well, something must be wrong with God because I'm doing everything right. But the fact that he brings it to my attention or tries to accuse me of not walking in love, that's just another proof, another evidence that he knows I'm on the right track he knows that I'm defending him successfully in the road that he travels on. And he's just trying to shake me loose from the position that I'm in. And that's the way it works with all of us, folks. The devil tries to tell you that you're not going to make it. Your faith's not enough. You're not good enough or whatever else he might say. The reason that he's saying those things is because he knows your own tra own track. He knows that you're heading toward the results of healing or health that the Bible promises. He's not going to tell you something that's going to make you change what you're doing so that you can get back over in faith. Even he's smart enough for that. If he's got us in deception, he's going to leave us alone. He wants us to stay there. And folks, when we understand that these are the ways, or this, this is the way, the one way, there may be variations depending on the difference in the circumstances that we may be in. But this all still comes back down to the same thing. He's only got one road to travel. And the one road he travels is the road to the mind. And he's built up strongholds. Or he's influenced us to build up strongholds. One of the things about the devil is it's never enough. He's always telling us that there's one more thing that we've got to do that we haven't done. No matter how many things we have done. He's always there to tell us that there's one more thing yet to be done. And folks, this is a real important point. People whose minds, whose thoughts are influenced by the devil are the same way. There's always one more thing left to do. But the Bible says we which have believed do enter into rest. Rest means we've ceased from our own works. Rest means we're not asking questions anymore about how long is it going to be or why is this happening to me. Rest means you're resting. Rest means you've done everything necessary, as, he, as Ephesians 6 talks about. 
having done all to stand, stand therefore. See, when you've done everything that there is to do, when you've prepared your heart, when you know what the Bible says is true. Now, that's one thing the devil never has tempted me with. He's never told me that the word's not true. He knows he's not going to get anywhere with that. But if we've done everything that's necessary to stand, then there's not one more thing to do. And if there is something else that the Lord wants us to do, it's his responsibility to get the information to us because he's faithful to watch over his word to perform it. So there's a place of rest in the the area of faith. That place of rest is the knowledge of who who you are. That place of rest is the knowledge of who God is. That place of rest is the knowledge of what his word says concerning your situation. And it's a place where we can just simply rejoice even though we might not see the answers. Now go back with me to chapter uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me start in verse 3 again. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. They're spiritual forces, mighty through God, that enables us to pull down strongholds. Now here's why the devil attacks your mind. Because if you think wrong, you're going to believe wrong. If you believe wrong, you're going to speak wrong. If you think contrary to what the Bible says, then you're going to believe contrary to what the Bible says. And you're going to speak contrary to what the Bible says. And remember the rule of this earth. God's system is you'll have what you say, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. So the devil's trying to influence you to action, specifically confession, contrary to God's word. And the only thing that would make us do that is if we believe wrong and the source of our wrong believing are these strongholds, these reasonings, these thoughts that are built up over time. Now, how does a stronghold develop? We start thinking the wrong things and hold that thought for a period of time. Once we hold it long enough, then it becomes a part of our belief system. You can't believe right if you think wrong. Thinking right and believing right go hand in hand. If you're going to believe right, meaning believe accurately according to what the Bible says belongs to you, you're going to have to think right. But the devil's had access to our minds for many of us many years before we found out the truth of the word. And so there are things that we're going to have to dislodge or take down in our thought patterns to line up with the word. And remember, Paul said, talking about this casting down strongholds, says our spiritual weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations or reasonings or thoughts, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now notice that phrase, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So there are two things at work here. There are two opposing forces. There are reasonings contrary to the word, and there is the knowledge of God. And the Bible is telling us, Paul said to Romans in the Romans uh, letter, chapter 12, he talked about the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's talking about the same transformation right here in 2 Corinthians 10. And that transformation, notice what it does, that transformation Cast down imaginations to destroy or demolish the strongholds that the devil has built up in our minds. 
that renewing of the mind causes us to bring every thought into captivity to what the Word of God says. Now, we read through it. We didn't spend any time talking about it, and I really don't want to spend much time on it now. But in Ephesians 6, where it talks about the armor of God, every one of those pieces or components or, or, or elements, parts of the armor of God, every one of those things come down to what you know about that particular subject. For example, taking the shield of faith, the, the way that we take the shield of faith, use the shield of faith effectively to quench all the fiery darts of the, of the wicked one. The way to use that is to have knowledge of how faith works. Well, specifically, faith works by believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. So the shield of faith is the, are the words, is the word that, come out your, uh, uh, that comes out of your mouth. The shield of faith that quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked is the same thing Jesus used when the devil tempted him. He answered, it is written. Another element of the, of the uh, armor of God is the helmet of salvation. What does the helmet of salvation do? It brings you knowledge of all that Jesus provided for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, a lot of the church world doesn't have that knowledge. A good portion of the church world believes that Jesus died for sin, but that he didn't die for your physical healing. That wasn't a part of the work that he did. And he didn't do any of the work on the cross related to your well-being in other areas financially as well as other things. Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, that word peace is the word shalom. It's translated prosperity in some other places in the Old Testament. And with his stripes we are healed. So it talks about Jesus paying the price for sin, poverty, and sickness. Well, not all of the church world believes that. A lot of the church world is wearing a helmet that only is half made. It covers one side of their head, perhaps. But they discount or they refuse to accept that Jesus paid for his spirit, soul, and body. So what do they do? They're going into battle with half of their head uncovered. How well do you think that's going to work when we understand that the battleground is in the mind? And so what's happened is they built up strongholds, reasonings, imaginations. They built up these strongholds, not strongholds against the devil, but strongholds against God's word working on their behalf. And so what does the devil want to do? The devil wants to add to that. He wants to keep fueling that fire. Any place he gets a toehold, he wants to create a greater force or grip or hold on you and me. Well, what's going to bring that down? What's going to change somebody's thinking and change their believing and change their confession concerning sickness and poverty? Well, there's only one thing to do it, and that's the truth of God's word. They have to begin to say or speak God's word to the point where they build up through the knowledge of what the Bible says Jesus did for us. A stronghold of, on God's side rather than a stronghold against the knowledge of God. Part of the armor of God is your loins girt about with truth. Well, the only truth there is is the Word of God. But if we don't know what the Word of God says, if we haven't prepared ourselves, if we haven't done all there is to stand, then we're not going to be successful in standing. So what's going to bring about this renewing of the mind? What's going to bring about the pulling down of these strongholds? 
the study of God's word. The acceptance of God's word to be true in any and every area that there is. But can you see how so much of the church world without an accurate and and complete knowledge of God concerning the things that they experience and things that come against them? Can you understand that it's not a surprise and certainly should be no mystery why so much of the church fails to overcome the enemy when he brings attacks against them? They don't have any foundation to stand. And so what they do is they come and cry out to God, Oh, Lord, if it be your will, hoping with all their hoping ability that it is the will of God. But since they don't know, they can't operate in faith. And without operating in faith, it's impossible to receive from God. So a majority of the church world, perhaps, becomes an easy prey for the devil. Remember, Peter wrote to the church and said, The devil, your enemy, the devil, walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Well, who is it that he may devour? Notice the word is may and not can. It's not talking about ability. It's talking about who's going to give him permission. He's looking to see who will give him permission to destroy them. And Christians are lining up for that. They don't know they're lining up for it. But because they haven't believed and chosen to believe the truth of God's word, but instead chose to believe something else, whether it's doctrinal teaching from the church or or personal experience or whatever they have chosen to operate on, they're operating on something that doesn't have a foundation and, re- and responds or results in God's help. So they pray prayers hoping for results, never getting them. And then that adds to the wrong thinking that they started with. And they conclude, well, I guess God doesn't answer prayer, even though the Bible said that he would. But when the devil finds somebody that knows the truth, when the devil finds somebody that chooses to accept the truth of God's word, and even if they don't know everything that the Bible says belongs to them, they know how to find out what it does say. When he comes upon them, then the only way he can operate against them, the only thing he can do to try to shake them from their position is bombard their mind with thoughts. Brother Hagin used to say regularly, It's thinking faith thoughts and speaking faith words that brings the heart out of defeat and into victory. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 4 real quick. Mark chapter 4, Jesus told us how to guard against the enemy. He told us how to bring into reality in our own lives what God's will is for each and every one of us. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read the parable. It's the parable of the sower sowing the word. But I'll pick up in verse 10 when the disciples come and ask him questions about what he said. Mark 4, verse 10, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him in the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now remember what the kingdom of God is. Jesus defined it for us when he gave the disciples an outline for prayer. Remember what he taught them? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth even as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God, Jesus defined as the realm or the place where the the will of God is done in the earth just like it was in heaven. And folks, that's what God originally planned for Adam and Eve to begin with. 
He put them in the Garden of Eden, not so that they could fall. That wasn't his plan. He knew it was going to happen, but he's not the one that made it happen or planned for it. But Adam and Eve were put here on the earth, and the only knowledge they had was the knowledge of God. And they were intended, God intended for them to carry out his will here on the earth. And if they'd done that, then we'd live in a paradise continuously and so forth. He intended for them to carry out his will on the earth. Now, we know enough about heaven to know that everything there is good. We know there's nothing there that can hurt anybody. We know there's nothing there that can bring sorrow. We know that in heaven, the will of God is done because there's no opposition. Everybody that's in heaven wants to do the will of God, wants to enjoy the benefits of the will of God. Nobody's seeking to rebel. Nobody's seeking to change things. So we know in heaven, everything is good because it's under God's control. Well, that's the system he set up here too on the earth. But man messed it up. His intent and really his creation here on the earth was the kingdom of God. Everything operated according to his will. Everything operated according to the way that he made it to work. And it was only after Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God that death came upon the scene Sickness reared its head. Lack or poverty began to operate. None of those things were part of God's will. So when Jesus gave the disciples an outline to pray, he told them to pray that the kingdom of God would come so that the will of God could be done on the earth just like it is in heaven. Well, for us, it's a little different because the kingdom of God has already come. Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God when he came to be crucified and then raised from the dead. The Bible says the kingdom of God is now. So we have every opportunity. We have every right. I believe we have the obligation to bring about the will of God in our own lives here on the earth just like it is in heaven. So when Jesus is giving them the description or the, the explanation of this parable, notice he says again in verse 11, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Most translations, and, and this is what the word really means, the word mystery really means secret. In most translations, it says unto you, is, it is given to know the secret of the kingdom of God. Folks, there's a secret to the kingdom of God. One translation says the inner workings. Unto you, it's given to know the inner workings of the kingdom of God. Well, that fits too. And mystery fits too as well as if you understand what he's talking about. Unto you it is given to know the mystery or the secret of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? In other words, he's saying this secret applies for every other story that he told. Because it's the way the kingdom of God works. And then he explains the sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word was sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root or moisture in themselves and so endure for a time. Afterwards, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. He's saying this was what happens to people that hear the word, get excited about what the word is, 
but don't continue to water it by reading, studying, and speaking it. And notice what he said. He gives us five things in this parable that, will, that uh, the devil tries to use against us to rob us of the blessings of the kingdom of God. The first two are in verse 17. When affliction, the word affliction means pressure or persecution arises. A lot of people turn loose because of what some people think about them operating in faith or standing on the word. Other people turn loose just because the devil applies pressure. And folks, I want you to see something. The devil doesn't need to apply pressure to the wayside people. The devil only needs to apply pressure to people that receive the word with gladness. That's when the pressure starts. Now, it's nothing for us to shy away from or be afraid of because we've got spiritual weapons that are sufficient to overcome anything that the devil has. But this word that they received, the stony ground people received with gladness, had they continued in it, had they continued to, to water it by speaking it, confessing it, meditating on it, acting on it as best they can, it could have brought them into victory. The seed was sufficient and powerful enough to bring them into victory. But they let pressure and what other people think about them turn them away. And so it choked out the word and it didn't produce anything. The next group he talks about, in verse 18, these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So these people, the people on the, the uh, uh, thorny ground, these are people that start with the word, they begin operating in the word to some degree, but they let the cares of this world, which are distractions, they let the deceitfulness of riches, do you know what the deceitfulness of riches is? The deceitfulness of riches is the thought or the idea that money solves all your problems. That's the deceitfulness of riches. A lot of people think that the deceitfulness of riches is where people pursue money. Well, that can be unprofitable for us. There's no question about that. If you put anything ahead of God, then that's not going to work out well. But the deceitfulness of riches is the idea that if I just had more money, all my problems would be solved. Money can't solve but one problem, and that is the lack of money. That's the only solution that money brings. But the kingdom of God and the secrets to the kingdom of God and receiving the blessings of the kingdom of God where God, the will of God is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. Those are things that come from faith or come by faith. So faith, the Bible talks about so many times, many times in the Psalms, the Bible speaks of the word of God being more precious than silver and gold. Well, Why? Because it can produce silver and gold. God's not opposed to you having money. He wants you to have money. He wants you to have your needs met. He wants you to live in abundance. He doesn't want you to, covet, to operate covetously. He doesn't care if you're rich. He made Abraham rich. And if Abraham's our example, Abraham was rich. Very rich in silver and cattle and gold, the Bible says. God doesn't have a problem with silver, cattle, and gold for you and me. He made it. What he has a problem with is if people put it in, in a place of importance greater than the word of God. So this type of ground, this thorny ground, get distracted by the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and desires for other things, and it chokes out the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are they which are sown on good ground, 
such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. What does the good ground do that the other grounds don't do? It takes care of the word that it heard. It doesn't allow itself to get distracted either by pressure or what other people say. Nothing becomes more important to them than the the truth of the word and fulfilling the plan of God in their lives. They're not going to get sidetracked by money or anything else that comes along the way. That's the only difference, folks. It's the care of God's word in their lives. That's what makes the difference in receiving or not receiving. Now, what is that care of God's word? How is that care of God's word going to translate into fruitfulness and abundance? Well, we're going to have to change our thinking. We're required to change our thinking according to what the Bible says, according to what God says, because it's faith in God's word. It's believing God's word from your heart and speaking it with your mouth. It's faith in God's word that brings forth the blessings. Like I said, if you think wrong, you can't believe right. Thinking wrong goes hand in hand with believing wrong. If you believe wrong, then you're going to speak wrong. And by wrong, again, I mean contrary to what the Word of God says about you. But if you think right, if you start training yourself to think in line with what God's Word says, then you'll start believing in line with what God's Word says. You'll start speaking God's Word out of the course, the abundance of your heart, not because you're trying to follow some rule or ritual and it'll produce 36 year or 100 fold results so the devil knows that the key to getting you to believe wrong the key to getting you to, to speak wrong is to keep you thinking wrong that's why Paul puts such an emphasis on renewing your mind renewing your mind to what the Bible says to what God's word promises instead of anything else skip with me down staying in Mark chapter 4 to verse 26 Here's another uh, example Jesus used. He said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now, he's still talking about the sower and sowing the word. So when he talks about sowing or casting seed into the ground, he's talking about the words that we speak. So he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed or speak into the earth. Speak into this earth. Now, again, we need to go back and remember God's original intent His original intent was for Adam and Eve to operate righteously in this earth to uphold and carry out his will here on this earth. How how are they supposed to do that? Well, the only way that the book of Genesis tells us that God exercised his will to begin with was speaking what he desired. So when it says, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed in the ground, God hadn't changed anything. God made this earth to respond to his word and it still does. God made man to speak God's word into the earth. And that's what he's looking for man to do still. So when Jesus says, so is the kingdom of God, the whole kingdom of God works this way, folks. Healing works this way. Prosperity works this way. The new birth works this way. Any and everything that you can believe God for works this way. Anything that you can ever imagine to pray about or to pray for works this way. This is the secret. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed in the ground. To speak words into the earth. The earth is the place that the word of God was created to work. And should sleep and rise night and day. And the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. Now if he doesn't know how. And if knowing how is not a criteria to making it work. 
then how are we to understand that this, these things operate? It just simply means this. The man that operates according to the kingdom of God in this earth, the will of God being done in your life here on this earth, just like it is in heaven. If that's the kind of life you want to live, you don't have to know how the earth is going to produce it. You just need to know that the, word, that the earth responds to the word of God spoken. You're not responsible for making it happen. You're only responsible for speaking the word of God according to that which you desire to bring about God's will here in your life. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed in the ground and should sleep and rise night and day. Apparently it's going to take a while for the seed to spring up and grow. The seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest is come. Now this has a spiritual connotation and a spiritual example for Jesus coming back and reaping a harvest of people, certainly. But again, it's reinforcing the simple truth, the knowledge that the Bible gives to us that God's word was created to be used by man to change things here on this planet. You can bring about any result that you see is the will of God, anything that the Bible tells us, the Word teaches us, simply by speaking. It's not going to happen all at once. It may take some time, sleep and rise night and day, but you can know for a certainty, even though you may not know how. There have been a lot of things I've gone to the Lord about and said, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this, but this is what I need. What are we supposed to know? That the earth will bring forth fruit in response to the word of God that we speak. Finally, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Notice the connection the joining together of keeping your mind on the things of God and trusting in God. He's saying that trust, which is the same thing as faith, keeps its mind on the word. We see this very clearly identified in Romans chapter 4 concerning Abraham. Everything about Abraham's life when he was 100 years old said that he and Sarah could not have children. But he looked under the word of God instead of the circumstances. He kept his eyes on the promise of God who told him as he looked at the stars in the sky, so shall thy seed be. He kept his eyes on the word and it kept his mind. And it was evidence of his trust or his faith in God. Same thing's true for us, folks. Notice the connection between faith, having faith or trusting in God and keeping your mind stayed or fixed on him. If you're going to keep your mind fixed on him, that means you can't be thinking contrary to the word. It means you can't be thinking contrary to what God said. It means you can't be thinking wrong or contrary to the promises of God that were made. But if you keep your, keep your mind fixed on God's promises, that's the faith that brings results. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, 
whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. The man that trusts in God keeps his mind fixed on him. Remember, that's the same thing that we read over in Philippians chapter 4. Be not anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, Romans, uh, Philippians 4 verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How? By doing verse 8. Thinking on the things that are good and honest and lovely and good report if there be any virtue and if there be any praise. How are we supposed to think on those things? Folks, that's what meditating in the Word is all about. Meditating in the Word is speaking God's Word to yourself. Most of the speaking of God's Word is for the benefit to bring about the result of of getting it firmly fixed in our own hearts. The more you speak God's Word to yourself, the more sure you become of the truth of it the more convinced you become of what God really has planned for you, what he's really made available for you and me. And that's the kind of faith that takes hold of it. The battleground is the mind. Satan doesn't have access to your heart. The only way he can affect you, meaning the real you, your spirit, in any way whatsoever, is to get you thinking wrong, believing wrong, and speaking wrong. Thinking contrary to God's word. Believing contrary to God's word. And speaking contrary to God's word. And folks you know as well as I do. There are millions of Christians in the earth. That speak contrary to God's word. In the area of healing. In the area of finances. You name it. There are denominations that are dedicated. To the idea and the doctrine. That Jesus paid the price for sin. But nothing else. Don't let the devil build that kind of stronghold in you. Don't let the devil build that kind of stronghold in your mind or in your thinking. Commit to change any and every thought that you've ever thought to line up with God's word. You start talking to God about that. You start talking to God about your desire to renew your mind to the word. Tell him what you're doing. Ask for his help in what you're doing. The Holy Ghost will guide you into things that otherwise you might not be open to or wouldn't see maybe for many years uh, yet to come. But God will help you do what he wants you to do. He will help you renew your mind to the word. He will help you pull down those strongholds that are holding you back. He will help you to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. He'll help you do it if you'll ask him to. He won't unless you do. But if you do, he certainly will. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusts in thee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you, Father, that it is your desire for our lives here to reflect your will in the earth, just like you will for us to have good things and be blessed in heaven. Father, we know there's no shortage in heaven. We know there's no sickness in heaven. We know that there is only abundance. There is only the presence of God, joy unspeakable and full of glory. We claim that same thing here on this earth. So we speak into the earth according to the word of God. We call our bodies healed. We call our minds renewed. Now, Holy Spirit, we need your help. Show us the things that we might not even be aware of that we're thinking contrary to God's word. Reveal everything, every thought, every stronghold that's been built up, big or little, 
so that we can change those things, so that we can bring them down and begin to think according to your word, for your word is truth. Father, we thank you for doing supernatural things to us. We thank you, Father, for bringing us to the place where we think your word and only your word. 